I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, we're here with the Hollywood Life podcast. We have a very special guest today and we're so excited to talk with her. But before I introduce her, I am going to say hi to my co-anchor, Allie Stagnita. Hi, Allie. Hi, Bonnie. Yes, I'm so excited to have this guest, um, and I'm so excited we are nearing uh, the Tony Awards on June 11th, and so we're continuing to have uh, some of the nominees join us on the podcast since we're here in New York City, um, and we love our live theater performers and and this resurgence of Broadway uh, that we've seen post-pandemic. So we're so excited to have our special guest here today, Bonnie. I'll let you introduce her. Okay, and yes, you know, I think this is really, really important that uh, we're celebrating Broadway because, as we all know, the pandemic meant no Broadway for way too long, and so everyone's got to come back to New York, and everybody has got to just right now meet um, our Tony nominee who is here today, Miriam Silverman, and she is in the Tony-nominated play, The Sign in Sydney Brewstein's Window. Welcome, Miriam. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. (laughs) We're really thrilled to have you. And we're so, like, we're so proud of you. And, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know, seriously. It was a really fierce season, especially for plays and especially for revivals this Tony Awards season. Um, And so to be nominated and recognized, I think, is huge. And it even kind of came, Miriam, as a surprise to you. Can you tell us a little (laughs) bit about... Receiving the nomination, I love this story. We talked to meet the nominees about it, and you were you had you're teaching at NYU in the midst yeah. of all. Yeah, yeah, I was teaching. I knew that I had to go teach my final class. I was not going to miss it, and I knew that the nominations were being announced that morning. And if you had asked me a week before, I probably wouldn't have even thought to listen to them live. I, I, I just wasn't really truly on my radar. And then Time Out New York came out with this thing saying that they were predicting that I would get nominated. And then all these people mistakenly started congratulating me thinking that was the real thing. (laughs) And then people started sending me these little clips from Twitter or something saying that, you know, the other actresses in my role had been nominated. So it started suddenly being like something I should pay attention to. So I did watch, I did watch that morning with my husband. First I had to drop off my little one at school and then I watched with my husband and we got to cry and scream and laugh and do all the things for about 15 minutes. And then I had to go teach. (laughs) That is is so wonderful. And you were nominated for actress in a a featured role in a play. And yeah, I mean, the competition was incredibly stiff because it's been a fantastic season on Broadway. And now did you, so you had 15 minutes and you had to go and 
teach your class. You teach theater at, at uh, AIU. Did you like have to go and take the subway? And know that you were I treated myself to a car. <laughs> I treated myself to a car because I figured I'd have some phone calls I could make on the way. And Just thinking. Yeah. And I also had, you know, the students had all seen the show at BAM and they had all predicted that I would get nominated. We had this whole thing where I had said, no, guys, no, guys, you know, it's not happening. And I had promised to buy them all donuts if I did. So I also had to make a stop at the donut pub for donuts. Uh, yes. <laughs> I know exactly where that is, too. I live like essentially on NYU's campus. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Good job. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, we are so glad that you followed through and got us donuts. <laughs> right. That's you know, like, the best part. Right. They actually had also brought donuts. Oh, oh it was yay. so sweet. Like they, I came in and there was, yeah, so many donuts. Everybody had donuts. I was way too like um, buzzing and, and excited and in disbelief to eat a donut at that point. I thought sh sugar will uh, do me in in this moment. So I had a donut later. Right. Right. Well, this is that this has been a very long journey for you. I mean, aside from the fact that you have been a, a working actress um, for a long time, but you, the play um, was written by Lorraine Hansbury, who is a, a, a very acclaimed and very young African-American playwright and writer. And she wrote A Raisin in the Sun, which is, is a much better known play, but she died sadly at the age of 34 and you know you were kind of working on bringing this play like you were what they call attached to the play for a long time yeah I I did this play with the same director with Annie Kaufman one of my absolute favorite directors who with whom I've collaborated more than anyone else I think I worked with her more including a production of this play at the Goodman Theater in 2016 so, it, and we had a wonderful time. It was a great production, fell in love with the play. And she's been, she had been working on getting it done for years before that. And then the Goodman production went so well, there was energy behind it. We had a couple of near misses of having it done in New York in the year or two after that. And then I think things died down and then the pandemic. And um, yeah, it was a, I'll sort of never forget when she called me and said, hey, we're going to do this like really low key, just informal reading um, with Oscar Isaac and Rachel Brosnahan of the play. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like so that doesn't sound low key at all. Yeah, <laughs> like, a big name. <laughs> and it, we did the reading, I think, at Oscar's office. And then nine months later, we were in rehearsals at BAM, something like that. So um I think there had even been one reading before that that I had been out of town and couldn't do. So it was a whole, it was a journey and it's been, it's been marvelous. It's just been it's a play that I love so much to get to return to it years later and to have more life experience to bring to it, to explore it with these different actors and a different production, same, you know, same director with a deep understanding and love for the play, but it's just been a testament to how incredible the play is that there's just been more to mine and uncover and discover in the writing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like too, just the story that it's telling at this time on Broadway um, is even 
just more profound. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you feel like this, like it, it's hitting home maybe even more right now? And, yeah. and could you, and Miriam, if you could kind of explain to our listeners, like the, what the, what the play sure. is about and what, yeah. like how you see what the play is about and why it's so profound now. Yeah. I'm, strangely terrible at summarizing this play and I know it so well but because there's just so much in it but I think one of the a, a way to describe it is that it's about this bohemian couple living in Greenwich Village that Sidney Brustein of the title is a Jewish liberal intellectual we meet him at the beginning of the play in a sort of both of them are in a place of, of shifting and changing. Iris is struggling against sort of trying to find herself both within the marriage to, she's you know married to an older man who is sort of dominant intellectually and in many ways. And he is trying to discover who he is and wants to be in the world. He's come out of one failed business venture and is starting to run a newspaper and yet insisting that despite his radical beliefs and liberalism that he's not going to use the paper as a tool to sway anybody politically and that becomes a kind of um, main argument of the play which is what are we doing with our voices what are we, what are we doing with our time and our energy and where are we spending it I think ultimately a lot happens in the play and there are a lot of themes but I think it's ultimately about liberals and people on the left and everybody in general being moved to actually engage in a meaningful and deep way with the world, with society, with politics, just what real change looks like rather than giving air to it, but actually being part, really being part of making change happen. Mm -hmm. And it's now you play it's it's about so Iris, who is the wife of this um, main character, and she's trying to find herself. Mm -hmm. She has two sisters, mm -hmm. and you are her older sister, Mavis, and you are very you know prim and proper, conservative. You're married to a wealthy man. You've got kids. Like you have kind of taken on a very traditional role in your relationship. And it seems that you are from the, at the beginning of the play, you know, in a, in kind of, I guess a happy place, what a lot of women or at that time, especially this was written in the sixties would think is a, you know, a happy place. Hey, lots of women today think that would think that too. May, may, um, Iris is more bohemian trying to find herself and a free spirit. And then you have a younger sister who is, um, really struggled and has is quite beautiful and it's I mean I think she's become a call girl or a like a yeah so there's women in three different places in life but it's like it's not what it seems really there's a lot going on especially in your character and first of all you look so different and when they have you all done up in your prim and proper clothes <laughs> yeah. and your pillbox you're like yes. Kennedy pillbox dress and dress how would you describe your character but it's fascinating what you learn about her as you watch this play yeah she is I mean you you described it right she is very like Park Avenue um starchy conservative stuck in her ways, um, 
sort of glamorous in a conservative way, right? Very, very expensive taste, I think. The pillbox hat, the jewelry, the nicely tailored dresses, all of that cares a lot about presentation. I mean, the, the moment we meet her, she's bringing Iris a nice fancy dress and Iris is saying, I don't wear that stuff. I'm not gonna wear it. And it's like, literally Mavis forces her into it just to sort of say, no, you, you, would, you can pull this off. This would look good. Um, so the, there's, you're sort of introduced to her as somebody who's trying to foist her ways on her bohemian sister. And you also hear me talking a lot about my concern for our little sister who is, we learn, a sex worker. And, uh, and then in the journey of the play though, I think, I, I think Hansberry is so brilliant in setting this character up because you, she's introduced as a kind of foil or antagonist almost to the bohemian, yeah. cool, you know, artsy people. And then you, she has a couple comments before she leaves that I think usually makes the audience, when I do it successfully, makes the audience go, huh, huh, what? You know, there's something that shifts. Oh, we can't just dismiss her anymore. And then that brilliant second act uh, scene with Sydney, where you learn there's a lot more to Mavis's life and existence and a lot more she's grappling with than anybody knew and anybody would expect just at, at first glance, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like too, you know, the show speaks to today in that like, there are reasons why people believe what they believe and, and lean certain ways. And it's sometimes, you know, beyond just like so black and white. Um, and I love that theater uh, specifically, especially right now is showing that and bringing that to light. I mean, between this show, which obviously was written in the sixties, like it's nothing new, um, but it's hitting maybe even a little bit more profoundly right now. Um, shocked is another one, you know, just looking at these like differences of, of opinion and, and seeing that it doesn't make somebody maybe a bad person. Um, uh, and I think that's amazing. Why did you relate maybe more to the Mavis character? Not relate necessarily, but um, align to like play her versus Iris or um, uh, the sister, the other sister. Oh, yeah. Gloria. You know, I, I think some of it quite simply is that when Annie sent me the play, she was thinking of me for Mavis. Um, I had played a kind of funny and sort of obnoxious older sister in a play with Annie the year before. And I think so she just, it was a, seemed like a logical fit. I'm, much, Miriam is much more of an Iris type. Oh. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a lot more kind of like, chaotic and um, you know uh yeah it, 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 there's and that's and that's so fun that's been right. so to me it's always more fun if I get to sort of really step into something that is different where I have to the the costumes and and thinking about just posture and the way she carries herself and the way she speaks and communicates you know that I think Mavis worked very diligently at trying to create a bit of a persona that would match the lifestyle right mm -hmm. all well, the sisters have, you know but I think that that so, so for me just as an actor to get to be in a character where it feels different than me it, it's always the most fun because there's just something there's a lot to kind of work on and craft mm -hmm. it, it's you I you see that she appears to have a lot of privilege, which she does. Mm 
yeah. in her role in society. And yet her life is at not at all. Like what Ali said, it's not black and white. She has made a tremendous amount of compromises in order to be able to live that life of privilege. But I, what I also found was so interesting um, about the play was that the struggle of this main character, Sidney Brewstein, in whether to decide to just be this sort of liberal on the side and personally feel we have to change. You know, we have to fight against racism and, and um, you know, classism. However, he was really sexist, which was kind of, which all the men were in the play. But today, look at, we're seeing that today. We're still fighting for racial equality. We're fighting so much for gender equality, yeah. gender acceptance. Like all of these things didn't go away when the, you know, in the decades since the play was written and people who are liberal still have to make a decision. Are they gonna be quiet or are they gonna stand up and do more to try and fight? to make change, to make the world a better place for everybody. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I think I think that's so right on. And I think the kind of prophetic quality of Lorraine Hansberry writing this play when she did and how relevant it is now. And it's fascinating to me because that the Messiah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Progeny and the sexism that Sydney and the, the, the you know male characters exhibit in some ways it's it's fascinating to do right now because i think it's a challenge for the audience it, it it could be something where people could go oh well god that's terrible i wouldn't behave like that but the play is asking more the play is asking you to to get inside of and have empathy for all of the all of the characters and Sydney being the, the lead character of the play you're going on his journey and so you have to go on the journey thorns and all it's like it's it's such a brilliant ask and demand that the playwright is making of the audience which is you have to actually become complicit with all of these characters right there's mm. this, and, and so Sydney in those moments where he's cruel to Iris it's like you hopefully people are realizing okay maybe i don't maybe i'm not so overt in my whatever but listen if somebody watches this play and were to think huh yeah the female execs at my workplace are not paid the same as the male execs. you know i know that's a stretch yeah. but i think that i think there's something about being really bold in you know even with mavis her racism her homophobia her anti-semitism it's all pretty much out there uh, and then Lorraine is also asking you to have empathy for her and understanding. And it's it's like, it's really complex and demanding in I think a way that a play can do what to me, theater has the power to do, which is to leave people 
with a lot to grapple with that then maybe will hopefully change something. There's this great line Sydney says to me in our second act scene where he says, you know, we got to, the world's about to crack right down the middle and we have to change or fall into the crack. <clears throat> we have to change or fall into the crack. And I always, I think, you know, Mavis's response is, you know, before that, my line before that to him is, you know, I can't help it. It's the way I feel. You can't expect people to change that fast. And then he says, we have to change. And to me, that's like, that exchange says everything about this play. And it's my hope, you know, my, as an actor, you kind of come up with a narrative of what happens to that character after they leave. And I always, there's something that does feel like a shift in Mavis when, when hearing that from Sydney every night. That is not like she's gonna leave and suddenly be a completely different person, but there has something has changed for her in in that with him, in the intimacy of just revealing her the truth of her life, and then he, seeing how profoundly moved and hurt he is at her kind of refusal to accept potentially a black suitor to her sister, and then. Mm -hmm that I do, I feel like something will start to change. It's saying, I can't change that fast. Maybe it's optimistic of me, but I, I have to be optimistic about it and think, okay, she, she actually might leave and start to think, okay, I do have to change. Something does have to shift, he's right. Mm -hmm. I think that the, like similarly to what you just said, like just how Hansberry developed these characters throughout the show, it shows that they are, not just one-sided, you know, and, and that's like humanity, like it's art mimicking life. Not everybody is just, you know, that or this, they have so much depth to them and it's trying to like, you know, like you just said, align your values with your behaviors. Yeah. I think it's just a big message that comes through it. And, you know, I think it's, it's, um, really interesting that an, uh, today's audience is getting reintroduced to Lorraine Hansberry, Barry, um, because, you know, they, you know, she died, I guess, in the early 60s. But it's it, like she was a, such a fascinating character as a person. Mm -hmm. uh, and she, in some ways, there were similarities between her, I guess, and Iris, in that she was you know, a, a younger woman married to a more established Jewish man who was an intellectual. And she, um, you know, was, was finding herself and using her writing. And also she was African-American and finding herself within society and speaking out. Um, but she didn't live to get, to, of course, to realize her full potential. And it's interesting too, though, that even though they divorced, she actually was a lesbian and she finally came out and I guess kind of came out which was a big deal in those days yes. and but that he remained totally protective of her and of her legacy yeah I think their their relationship their partnership what yeah it clearly transcended what we think of as a sort of traditional marriage um terms right and so the fact that yeah he did that she came out she had female lovers she there was an understanding between them and yet he remained yet yeah, her fiercest advocate um 
it's funny the thing about her being Iris because I think that's true. And I also think she absolutely wrote herself into Sydney too. Mm. There's so much, and this is something that is not my original idea. We were, we were. It's the main character, the intellect, the intellectual. Yeah, we were so lucky with to have um, Joy Gresham, who is actually Robert Nemorosa Lorraine's ex-husband, uh, Robert's stepdaughter, Joy Gresham, who runs the Literary Trust, the Hansberry Literary Trust. <laughs> Joy was involved with us every step of the way in both productions, and she would have people come in, all these experts come in and talk to us. I've read Imani Perry's biography of Lorraine twice. I mean, it's just, there's so much about the full, full life she lived in 34 years, you know? It's kind of, it, it, it's almost makes one like ashamed because she just like the, the life she lived in all her writing, the essays, the political activism, everything she did. So a lot of that, I think she put into Sydney. I think she put herself into Alton. I think she put herself into David and some, I, she, there were there elements of her as a person and her beliefs and her argument as an artist in a lot of the characters. It's kind of, in, in some ways, why the characters are all so well crafted and drawn. They're so full and complex, all of them. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree, I see that. I see that as you're, as you're explaining. Okay, now let's get down to how are you preparing? for Tony's night. Are you <laughs> take a dress? Like <laughs> I tried on a bunch of dresses yesterday and it was so exciting. And I got a bunch of pictures. I'm working with a, an amazing stylist that was recommended. Now this is all new to me, but she pulled a bunch of gorgeous dresses from different designers that were, you know, were sent for me to try on. And it's a work in progress, but we already have some great options. It's, um, it's an interesting thing to see <laughs> what vibe you're going for, right? It's because yeah. it could be a, a traditional, very simple, elegant gown. It could be a big kind of statement dress, anything in between. So who knows? I mean, part of what I love about being an actor is that I, I just feel differently. And there's a kind of the fun of being an actor is sort of being a chameleon. So I really have to think about how does Miriam want to show up at Tony night and nail that down soon. But it's fun. And is this your first Tony Awards? Definitely. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. I was, I did, uh, I've been on Broadway once before in a play called Junk that we did at Lincoln Center by Ayat Akhtar. And uh, the play was actually nominated for best new play, but it was a huge cast and we didn't all go. I think we watched, we had a party and watched it together. So um, this is definitely my first time attending the Tonys. Oh my gosh. And are you, will you prepare a speech just in case? You know, I guess I have to. <laughs> Feels, it feels unlucky, but then what would be worse was on the off chance that they do call my name, being unprepared would be pretty late. Well, you've got a good so, chance. Don't say that. You've got a good chance here. <laughs> I I think I, I will have to think about that and prepare something. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we're so excited, too, that um, the Tonys and the Writers Guild have come up with a yeah. you know, plan yeah. to be able to have the uh, Tonys actually air, because um, that was pretty touch and go. Did you have any thoughts about that? Because I know that your husband actually works um, yeah. with SAG. Yeah, my husband's a labor organizer. 
organizer for SAG-AFTRA and we were huge, we're, you know, very, I was very involved with uh, actors equity. So this is a union, this is a super pro-union household, you know, so, so uh, standing with the WGA on everything. But of course it was so disappointing when the waiver was initially denied and we thought, oh, you know, there is just on a personal level, I finally, you know, my, my shot at the Teletees, <laughs> they're yeah. canceled. So it was, um, and also just the potential fallout to, to the industry, you know, as you said at the beginning, Bonnie, theaters. Ticket sales. Yeah, like we're finally crawling back, but a lot of shows that are running right now need the Tonys to happen to continue for tours to be born out of it. You know, there's so many bigger considerations for the industry and all the different jobs not just the performers, but the people backstage, everyone involved. So it's it's a huge relief. And I'm so glad that they came up with a compromise that everybody feels good about and that we get to go and celebrate the theater that night. I'm so, I'm so glad too. And I think that you pointed out something that's really important that how many jobs depend on the show going on, on Broadway going on and on getting that boost. And so... I'm glad that a compromise was found for all of those reasons. Now, on a personal note, I want to just ask you about your father. Wasn't your father like a major journalist? I mean, he, <laughs> he would be so thrilled to hear you say that. Um, my, my dad worked his entire career for the Associated Press um, and was a an editor for, you know, a desk editor on the national desk for many years. My memory as a kid was that he would get to cover the space shuttle launches and he'd go down to Cape Canaveral and bring us back, ask that, you know, freeze-dried astronaut food. Um, and he would cover the, the Olympics and travel for that. And then when I was and he was, for many years, he rose to deputy managing editor. And in the last few years of his career, he was the managing editor of the AP. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. We were very proud. He started when he was in his 20s as like a stringer reporter. So it was an incredible career he had there. Wow. I'm sure he has a lot of feelings about the, what's going on with the press now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as journalists, um, I well, as a journalist, I don't want to speak for Ali, but I just I respect that that kind of a career so much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I worry so much about whether or not other generations are going to continue to be able to have these careers mm -hmm. doing good journalism. Yeah, I know. It's so true. <laughs> um, but sticking a little bit back to the show and just like your like balance of life right now. So you have a child, you are. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. But now it like, pulled out at least. And so how are you balancing it all? Like eight shows a week, childcare, like teaching. That's a lot. And a lot on your voice too. I mean, just speaking. 
Yeah. yeah. Thanks for speaking to us. Oh <laughs> yeah. It's okay. You know, I am, um, I, I'm going to knock on wood because I have usually had, uh, my voice usually is not delicate. I, I say that and I totally got a sinus infection that led to laryngitis when we were at BAM and I had to go on steroids and sort of talk like this for a show or two, but I didn't miss a show. I was determined not to, um, but I had really good training in grad school. So I think that's part of why, and, and while I usually teach acting, I've also taught voice over the years. And so I feel like I know what to do, but the exhaustion is real from being a parent. I have two kids, I have a nine-year-old and a four-year-old and the four-year-old likes to get up very early, very early. So that's been a little rough because I get, you know, no matter how quickly I try to get out of the theater, I get home late. And often if I, often depending on after school and all that, because we live in Brooklyn, there are a lot of days where I only see them for that first hour or so in the morning. And then, you know, have to go to the theater just as they're getting home from school. So it's a, it's, it is an interesting balance. You know, I used to do theater all the time and then it, the pandemic, you know, COVID shut down the play I was doing at the Atlantic Theater. My son was, had just turned one. And so he hasn't known this life, right? The last few years, I really did mostly some TV and film work and teaching. I, I was desperate to do a play again, but I knew the balance, finding the balance would be hard again with two and with my son being older and my daughter being older. Um, you know, when my daughter was little, she could just come to the theater with me all the time and just be around. But when you have school and a, she has her own life now, you know, she's nine, she has activities. So th this, the schedule is harder. Um, and I knew that I wouldn't go back to doing plays, like three plays a year, the way I used to, right. that it would have to be something really, really special and important to me. And so luckily this one came along we're constantly figuring out how to balance it. And I know the kids will be very happy come July when mama's home for bedtime every night again for a while. So, um, and they'll just, they'll just learn. We're all learning how to make the best of it. Cause also, especially my older kid, she's so proud and so excited. I bet she is. Yeah, I, I guess it's gonna, it will be televised so yeah. they can stay up and watch yeah, yeah. and see, see mommy on TV. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they'll love, it, especially your daughter, when you get dressed up in your dress, hair and oh, makeup, yeah. that'll be just a treat. I sent her some via my husband. She doesn't have devices at all, <laughs> but I sent my husband some pictures of the dresses I tried on yesterday to get her thumbs up and she oh, yeah. was involved. She was, um, she came to our opening night actually and came to the party afterwards. And that was Fun. one of my favorite memories today, to the, to date. Like it was incredible to have her there. She had such a blast. Yeah. Oh, that is so special. Um, well, we are so excited, Miriam, to see you take over the Tony's red carpet and fingers crossed stage uh, on June 11th. And I'm rooting for you. Thank you so much. We'll be rooting for you. Um, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. It was lovely to see you again, Allie, and lovely to meet you, Bonnie. It's really oh. been a pleasure to talk. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure for us and good luck. Thank you. We will be cheering. We're excited for you. <laughs> thank Thanks you for sharing with us. Okay. Okay. Bye, Bye guys. Thank you.